Welcome, everyone. This is Kevin from the Yield Lab podcast. If you're new here, every week we invite fascinating guests to cover the topics of investing, entrepreneurship, and well-being. Our guest today is Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, you are a functional medicine practitioner and board-certified clinical nutritionist who help people improve their wealth through lifestyle and dietary changes. You work with entrepreneurs and busy professionals utilizing efficient and targeted approaches to maximize their performance, longevity, and quality of life. So ladies and gentlemen, before we start, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and turn on the notification to never miss one episode. And also keep in mind, as usual, that nothing shared or discussed here is medical advice. And now that we've covered the basics, on to today's episode. Ryan, great to see you on the podcast. Great to be here, Kevin. So I'd love to start each episode with a bit of a background about our guests. What are the few key turning points in your life that define who you are today? Early on, one of the biggest turning points that was a big change in how I saw the world and my mindset towards health and towards wellness was when I was 14, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And at the time, being a young guy, I didn't know exactly what that meant and the full extent of things of how this happens. People just think it's bad luck and it's genetic. And unfortunately, she didn't know any better. And she went through the conventional medical system that just prescribes chemotherapy, radiation, and does surgery and really puts down any natural approaches to healing disease. They tell you what you eat doesn't matter. They tell you that your no supplements or herbs or vitamins are going to help you. No lifestyle changes make a difference. All you can do is take these drugs and hope for the best. And unfortunately, Kevin, she passed away two years later, in large part due to the misinformation she received, not just with the treatment options, that was very limited and poor recommendations, but also the misinformation she millions of other people received leading up to that point with terrible food guide pyramid recommendations, telling people to eat a ton of grains and all sorts of garbage as the primary source of their diet, telling people to replace butter with margarine, telling people that all this really poor advice in the food industry, really driven through these big food conglomerates that make a lot of money on processed food and have interest in having people eat a lot of cereals and pastries and crackers and cookies and breads. And so that was a real turning point in my life, dude, where I realized what really matters is your health. There's two quotes that highlight this that I really come back to a lot. One of those is someone with their health has a thousand dreams. Someone without it has just one to yeah. get well. And it really rings true too. When you don't have your health, like when I was watching my mom go through this journey fighting cancer, she didn't care about her job or career. She didn't care about her money in the bank. She didn't care about all these things that we put so much time and attention to. She cared about living, about surviving another day, about being there for her family, about really that was the only thing that counts it when you're in that type of state. And the other quote that I really like on this same premise is that we all have two lives. And the second one begins when you realize you only have one. And for a lot of people, that takes place when either they themselves or someone that they love goes through some type of chronic disease and has a life-threatening or life-ending situation. You wake up and you realize, it. this is it. We only got one chance here. You got to live full out. Otherwise, you're going to get to the end of your days and be full of regrets and realize you didn't live up to your full potential. So that's a bit about my backstory and what got me interested in health and wellness. What really inspires me to help people get well, 
to educate people on what they should be eating, how they should be living their lives, daily habits and routines and choices that really make a world of difference in how you feel every day, how you perform, how you show up, and ultimately how long you live. And so through that journey, I studied kinesiology in my undergrad, got into physical therapy, realized real quick, physical stuff is great, dude. But if you're not dialing in your nutrition, supplementation, reversing nutrient deficiencies, going through detoxification protocols, enhancing your sleep, your stress management, your environment, all of these other facets of your health. If you're not really addressing those things, the fitness and physical movements is only going to take you so far. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school. I studied naturopathic and functional medicine in post-grad school. And that brings me to where we are today, where I run a full-time practice. I consult with patients via telemedicine from all over the globe, all walks of life. Everyone from entrepreneurs and investors like yourself, who are just looking to perform at their best, feel their best to individuals that have chronic ailments, digestive issues, chronic diseases, neurological problems, all sorts of things that so many people suffer from and a lot of mental health issues. So many. You know, and, yeah. And actually most of the mental health issues are actually caused by these underlying kind of gut issues or whatever other things we eat. That's exactly is, right, dude. Which That's is really, exactly right. Which is super interesting. And we'll definitely dive into that. So you mentioned you were 14 years old and your mother is diagnosed with cancer. What happens to your mind at that point? Are you already thinking, okay, because when you're 14 years old, you don't really uh, understand the word. So you're probably not thinking, oh, you're probably thinking, oh, these hospitals, these doctors, everybody knows what they're doing. Or are you already thinking, I need to find an alternative way and I'm going to go, I don't know, start looking online and see what exists out there. Like, how does the actual medicine come from that? Or is it something that a few years later, you have like kind of a light bulb or an aha moment where thinking, actually, now I understand that what my mother was doing to try to heal herself, at least she could have done better on, on the natural side. Or like, how did the functional medicine came along in, in relation to this story? Yeah, in the moment, dude, at the time, this was 2007, 2008. Like you said, I thought she was in good care. I thought these oncologists and these medical professionals knew exactly what they were doing. We're going to give her the best treatment options possible and help her beat this thing. I was always very optimistic. And obviously, as a parent, my mom and dad weren't saying, dude, this is not looking good. They were being very positive because obviously they don't want to scare the kids yeah. and create excessive stress because I'm just going through school. I'm going through sports. I'm doing my thing. And so I didn't realize until many years later at like how atrocious the information she was given really was. And until I got into functional medicine and started helping people with natural routes to reverse their cancer and started to really dive deep into this space, did it everything click. And I looked back in hindsight, well, hindsight 2020, and realized, dude, there is so much she should she could have done. I wish that I knew what I know now to help her back then. And I really think there would have been a good chance she would have overcame it or at least had a longer life, a better life, because while you're going through these conventional treatments, Kevin, dude, your quality of life sucks because they're yeah. poisoning. They just, yeah. they're poisons yeah. the body. So they're killing off all your cells, good and bad. And so most people feel absolutely terrible. They're nauseous all the time. They have no energy. Their hair's falling out. They feel absolutely terrible. And the sad truth is a lot of chemotherapy agents, not all of them, but a lot of a high percentage don't actually extend life in research studies by any significant degree. So if you go to the research of some certain types of cancer and certain chemotherapy drugs, it might say, hey, it, you get a 10% increase in lifespan. 
and you look at the study and it's increasing your life from 10 months to 11 months. And that's not worth the pain and the challenge and the hardship that you owe, that you go through by taking these drugs. You're better off living 10 months and feeling pretty good than living 11 months. But those 11 months, you're just absolutely floored by how terrible you feel every day. So I don't want to get too deep down this rabbit hole because there's a lot of nuance. I don't want people to misconstrue because there's a lot of different types of cancer. There's a lot of yeah. different types of drugs. Some of them do work. Some of them are helpful. It's not a one size fits all thing here. There's a place and a time for some of these modern medical treatments. But in this particular situation, in my story, it certainly didn't help. And it just made it so the last couple of years of her life were not fun, really poor quality. So we, what, do we, what you've learned, what are the a few things that she could have done or that people who currently are dealing with cancer could do to, let's say, start by improving their life quality if they are on these treatments or even like alternative to these treatments, like how big are you into, oh, we can cure a lot of this stuff without these big treatments. For example, I know because I did a lot of research because I had really bad health issues in the past and that were incurable. And I was just looking online and I was thinking, what's the worst thing that exists as an illness? Definitely cancer is one of them. So we just go online and see how did people treat cure cancer. And that's when I started to find all these water fast, biohacking, all this stuff, which is why mm -hmm. I connected so so well with AJ when I met him, mm -hmm. one of your good friends. And yep. so maybe you want to give us some, some uh, I don't want to say advice, but what are the things that you think she should or she could have done that doctors didn't know or didn't tell her about and that other people who are in a similar situation today could do? Yeah. I don't like to use the word cure for legal reasons. I don't diagnose, treat, or cure disease. I just help people resolve underlying imbalances. And so what can people do out there that might be facing a diagnosis or someone that they love and care about is facing a diagnosis with cancer or any number of diseases? First thing you need to do is educate yourself. You need to understand your health is in your hands. You can't just rely on the medical system to give you all the answers. And while it could be great resources and they could really be helpful and doctors do their best and try and really have good intentions, you need to really educate yourself. So how do you do that? You can hire a practitioner, someone who specializes in natural medicine and takes a more holistic lens at this thing so that you can get education on how to change your diet, what foods to avoid, what foods to eat, what vitamins or nutrients you might be deficient in and how to replenish those to ramp up your immune system function and to help your mm -hmm. body overcome whatever it is you're fighting, how to decrease inflammation, how to decrease any toxic load. Maybe you have heavy metal exposure, mold exposure, some sort of toxins in your body that are contributing to the cancer or any other disease state that you're overcoming. And so I recommend people educate themselves by hiring someone that knows what they're doing, that can distill 10, 20, 30 years of clinical experience and knowledge and give you those insights in the course of a few hours, because that's going to be the best time and money investment you can make. Now, not everyone has the means to pay someone to consult with them. So if that's you can read books, watch videos, listen to podcasts like this one, that's really going to help you self-educate yourself just to get you an idea of where to go and what to look for. Now, cancer specifically, there are some holistic clinics. And if someone I love was diagnosed with cancer, not only would I tell them exactly what to do, I would actually recommend they go to these clinics where they perform all sorts of different therapies, where they do hyperbaric oxygen, they do enemas, they do all sorts of different things that are going to be hard for you to do at your house, nutrient IVs, things that are more advanced that really help and really can move the needle for 
an individual who's determined to beat whatever they got they got diagnosed with. So those are some initial steps. Uh, as far as like practical stuff, man, it's it does vary based on the person, but pretty much everyone needs to understand cancer thrives in a low oxygen environment. And that's the case for most disease pathology. Most diseases thrive in a low oxygen environment. And so you need to increase the oxygenation of the body. And the way that you can do that is multifold. First, learn how to freaking breathe. Most people are never taught how to breathe, which is a shame. I've taught all this stuff in school, Kevin, about algebra, geometry, all this bullshit. We're never going to freaking use, man. But we're not taught how to use our breath to control our bodies, which is, in my opinion, the most valuable skill set any human can have. It is like human operating system 101, dude. And and monks in these monasteries teach their kids. First thing they teach these little monks, dude, is how to breathe. And so that's that's absolutely essential. You need to learn breathing through your nose is key. We have nervous system receptors that help relax the body and it improves oxygenation. Learn how to breathe deep into the diaphragm. There's books on this. I had James Nestor, the author of the book Breath on my podcast, where we talk about this. He basically wrote a whole book teaching people why breathing is important and how to breathe. And so this is an absolute critical step to improving the oxygenation of your cells, improving the oxygenation of the body. You want to take longer, slow breaths, not these short, shallow breaths. That makes a huge difference. Breathing through the nose into the diaphragm, not just into the chest, makes a huge difference. And then there's certain therapies that you can do for increasing the O2 saturation in the body. Now you have actual breath work, stuff like Wim Hof method and other techniques that can change from a hypoxic to hyperoxic state. So you can basically do these types of deep breathing followed by these breath holds. And that could be very helpful for driving up CO2 to drive oxygen into the cells more effectively. But you also have other therapies like ozone therapy. This is O3. This is really helpful for as an oxidative therapy to ramp up the oxygenation in the body. You have hyperbaric oxygen chambers. You have different devices where you could train like on a stationary bike with actual oxygen and oxygen deprivation and going back and forth between the two. And so these things are really powerful tools for any disease state because you got to understand at a basic premise, oxygen thrive, diseases thrive, especially cancer cells in a low oxygen environment. Do you know why? It has to do with the anaerobic metabolism of the cells. So the way that these cells operate is in an anaerobic situation, which means lack of oxygen, not aerobic. And so it, (laughs) it has to do with the actual biology of the cancer cells. And then in general, there's books been written like a Dr. Schallenberger is a leading pioneer in, in ozone therapy. And he talks about this in much more depth if people want to go into the mechanisms and the science and get a much kind of deeper understanding of why oxygen is so critical for our cellular health and our cellular function. But once you don't have adequate oxygen saturation and your body's in a low oxygen state, you just start to get so dysfunction of the cells. And All disease also starts at the cellular level. So if your cell is dysfunctional, it's not able to carry out waste. It's not able to do proper cell signaling. It's not able to do the basic functions that we need. That is what at a root cause also starts to drive different disease pathologies. So that's one step is oxygen. The next step from a diet perspective would just be cutting sugar out of your diet is huge, dude. Mm Because a lot of, and I will say not all cancer cells, but most cancer cells thrive on sugar and refined carbohydrates. So any type of food that converts to sugar in your bloodstream can feed cancer cells. And that's why certain cancer cells have been proven to be very affected 
by a low carb ketogenic diet, keeping sugars yeah. and starches on a, in a very low. And I will say not all, that's why I'm putting some nuance to this because there are some types of cancer where ketogenic diets aren't as effective. So you got to know what you're up against. You got to work with someone that's very knowledgeable about this stuff and can help guide you with what's going to be best. But generally speaking, you shouldn't be eating candy and ice cream and a bunch of breads and pastas and pizzas and cookies. You should because, never anyway. Yeah, exactly. Even if you're just looking to avoid cancer and you want to be healthy and have low inflammation and good body composition and good brain function, these foods are not good for you. But especially if you have cancer or any other type of chronic illness, it's just fuel for the fire. So it does create a lot of issues. And Andrew, we can go through hours and hours of different information. I will give people a couple of resources to check out. There's a guy named Ty Bollinger that has a blog and a docu-series and all sorts of information. And his website is The Truth About Cancer. Okay. I think it's .org. Awesome. I don't know if it's .com or .org, but that is a great docu-series. He interviews some of the top holistic oncologists. He goes all around the world, seven episodes. It's all free, really good stuff. And then there's a bunch of books that people could dive deeper into. One called Tripping Over the Truth, Travis Christofferson, that talks about how, you know, the low carb diets and ketosis can be very effective in cancer mm -hmm. treatment and how cancer metabolism works. There's books written by Dr. Seafried that are really helpful in that regard as well. There's a whole bunch of good resources out there today that people can learn more about and study yeah. if they, like I said, someone that they know or themselves is going through, this is good. It's in educate yourself, but really you should be hiring an expert, someone who could really walk you through this process, coach you through everything, give you the inside information that you really need either as part of a medical treatment or it, instead of a medical treatment, depending on the person and what route they choose to go. Cause there's, even if you're getting chemotherapy, you're doing surgery, you're getting radiation, you can still improve your diet. You can still take something. You can still do a lot of things from a lifestyle perspective. That'll help. You can still uh, maximize the chances of basically of success. The, the illness. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and improve the effectiveness of the chemotherapy. Yeah. Travis Christofferson talks about that, how fasting before your chemotherapy and after can actually really increase the efficacy of that drug and make it so it doesn't kill off as many healthy cells and targets more of the, of the dysfunctional cells. So there's a lot of stuff people can be doing in that regard. Awesome. That was, a, that was an amazing one. So why does, what's the problem with conventional medical system and why does natural and functional medicine make so much more sense for you what's the key issue that normal doctors don't are basic what are they missing there's first people have to understand conventional medicine is designed for a specific thing and it's really amazing at trauma care and acute care and infectious disease modern medicine is great if you get in a car accident don't go to your naturopath go to the freaking hospital and similarly, there's certain conditions where it could be very helpful, where you might need IV antibiotics. You might need something that's going to be life-saving. The way that conventional medicine looks at things is when it comes to chronic issues, let's say you go into see a GI specialist, Kevin, you're like, dude, I got IBS. I've got all sorts of gut issues. I'm having loose stool all the time. My, my stomach hurts after meals. I have all these problems with my stomach and my digestive system. You go to all these GI specialists. All they're going to do is take your collection of symptoms. They're going to, they're going to say, Kevin, you have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. And you're going to say, dude, no shit. I have irritable bowels. That's why I'm here <laughs> seeing you. Like, I don't need to see all these specialists to tell me I have irritable bowels. Why do you think I made an appointment, bro? And they're going to say, yep, that's, there's not really much you could do. Your diet eh, it might help, might not. We could give you some 
anti-inflammatory drugs and some steroids, but that's about it. They okay, don't really address the root cause. So that's clear. They don't address the root cause. They basically address the symptoms. Correct. They don't know for IBS, for example, it is not even a treatment. So they would more tell you, sorry, this Good is luck. what it is. Yeah. Then they would tell you, if you ask them, how did I get this? Why do I have this? They would say it's genetic or it's just bad luck. And the reality is you and I both know it's a result of your lifestyle, micro microbiome imbalances microbiome. in the different bacteria in your gut. Yeah. And I work with people with IBS every day and I help them resolve it. And I help them to overcome it by doing targeted functional medicine testing to see what imbalances are in their microbiome. Do they have excess yeast or candida? Do they have excess bacteria? Do they have yeah. pathogenic bacteria like Clostridia difficile or H. pylori? And then we create targeted protocols based on what their body actually needs. What probiotics are going to be best for them? What enzymes, what herbs to knock out whatever's going on? And then we restore balance. We restore homeostasis in their microbiome. And guess what? Your IBS goes away. They feel freaking fantastic. They don't have any issues anymore, but that's not the training that's received in modern medicine. So modern medicine really re revolves around a paradigm of symptom management. Like you mentioned, yeah. there's no money in cures. You cure someone, you just lost a customer. Health makes a lot of sense, Kevin, but it doesn't make a lot of dollars. Yeah. So they honestly want you to be managed. They want to help you to live like they don't want you to die because that also loses a customer so it's a business people got to understand medicine is a business at least in the united states and many countries there's places where it's better where there's different government regulations and it's not mm. as much of the private sector it's more in the public sphere but the reality is they are there to they can really help you with acute problems injuries acute infection acute issues they are amazing and i'm very grateful for modern medicine for those things but when it comes to chronic issues they just don't have the tool the tools and the education to really work with you on your nutrition on your lifestyle practices how to fix your sleep how to increase your energy how to improve your performance there's nothing in the modern medical system that really deals around optimization you can't go to your doctor and be like dude i got no problems i feel okay but i just want to feel better I want to be 10%, 20% better. Doesn't make wanna, sense. Yeah. They'll be like, dude, get out of here, man. We, we yeah. We have enough. That. We have enough sick people already to take care of. Exactly. But just the, it's an interesting one. We could go down the rabbit hole about it's all about business and all that stuff, which is probably true, but is not really useful for people. Whereas if we think about what's re really useful and actionable for people, it's really interesting because people who have IBS or other kind of chronic issues can spend literally years or their life going to specialists and doctor and not find out what's going on because they're just going to the wrong ones. And I'll take my example just because it might be useful for people. So when I was doing all this biohacking stuff for my health issues, at some point, because in one of Dave Asprey's book was written, go do a, sensi a food sensitivity and allergy test. And so I went, I was like, why not? It's 200, 200 bucks. And I just saw that you receive all these foods and these nutrients. And then you see all the colors. Is it green? Is it yellow? Is it green? Or is it red? And I see gluten and gliadine is completely red. And I'm like, what? And I'm literally 27, 28 years old. I'm like, what? I never had like stomach issues or I don't think so. But what I had all my life was mouth ulcers. All my life, like a lot of mouth ulcers. And I went to so many dentists and specialists and they always told me, some people have eczema or psoriasis. You have mouth ulcers. Sorry. Or ah, go to see the next one. Or go to see this expert in the University of Geneva about yeah. 
mouse ulcers, and or at some point I was even diagnosed with a disease called Besset disease, which they started to give me pills for. And it just happened that all my mouth ulcers were coming from gluten. And during yeah. 27 years, I was eating pasta and bread and all that stuff every day. And so I think like one of the key thing here is really that is if you're not looking at the right place, especially for all these chronic disease, like all these kind of food stuff and functional medicine is really the place to look at. But most people, for yeah. some reason, are not told and we don't know about it. And no doctor, every doctor, even normal doctor should tell everyone who is five or 10 years old, you do a food sensitivity and allergy test because there is something you're going to be, you're going to have problem with. It's almost impossible to be like the perfect human being. And that's a, yeah, that's really a key one yep. that's, that's completely linked to that and, and that people should definitely look at. You highlighted a key concept that I see all the time, Kevin, that I think is important for people to understand, which is that oftentimes your issue is going to be resolved by eliminating something that you're doing or eating, yes. not by adding stuff in because people always want to add stuff in. They don't want to think about what can I cut out? What can I, what am I doing that's causing this? They want to look for the magic bullet, the magic pill, the magic solution. So they're going and they're buying all these supplements. They're buying all these pills. They're buying all these different remedies that are marketed to them on the internet is this is your answer. Here you go. This is going to solve your mouth ulcers. When all the time they're doing, they're spending all this money, they're buying all this stuff. They're taking all these things. All they had to do is stop eating freaking gluten. That was the reason they had the mouth ulcers. And so it's really about looking for the root cause because I see a lot of times in, in my space, in natural medicine, functional medicine, a lot of people are still using the same medical paradigm of let me prescribe this, let me give you that to help combat this. But it's dude, the odds are, let's just say you, you got a supplement recommended to you for mouth ulcers. Maybe it's a topical ointment of some herbs and something natural, no, no drugs. Your body is not deficient in topical herbs for that part of your lip for your mouth. That's not the reason you have the mouth ulcers. It's just a natural band-aid that might be better than the pharmaceutical band-aid, but it's still some band-aid to help ultimately suppress the symptoms, but that's not what caused it. And so yeah. a lot of times I do a lot of these functional medicine tests because to your point, I see a lot of people that have these issues and will run a food sensitivity panel. And they'll have an allergy to a food that's very healthy for many people. Maybe yes. it's eggs, maybe yes. it's eggs, maybe it's Brussels sprouts, maybe it's or avocado something... or pineapple or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Something you would never expect is causing your problems. Like gluten is one that most people are now like, yeah, I understand yeah. bread pasta is not good for me, but maybe it's something that you're eating where it's actually a very healthy food and you're doing it because you think it's good for you. And it's actually causing the problems you're trying to resolve. So, so maybe a key actionable insight before we talk about the next topic, which is testosterone, a key actionable insight, like even before doing any test or even seeing functional doctor, if you have any sort of issues, skin, I don't know, headache, even like anxiety, <clears throat> mouth problem, something that could be really useful is do a fast. So spend three days without eating. Or do a juice fast, spend three to five days by just drinking juice. Don't eat anything and see what's happening to your issue while you're doing that. If you have some, if you see that it's improving, it's probably because you're not eating that thing that's causing that. And then it might be interesting to go deeper and then do this test and all that stuff. And for yeah. me, it's actually, for me, it's actually what I was doing my first water fast seven days that I realized I haven't had a mouth ulcer. How come? And then it was like the beginning of like me thinking, oh, maybe it was something I was eating. Yep. Yep. I completely agree with your advice. I think fasting is the, 
it's one of the most effective, cheapest things people could do. It saves you money. Not only is it free, you'll save money by fasting. <laughs> Definitely. And it's a very effective strategy, not only for identifying certain ailments could be coming from food, but even let's just say you're a healthy dude or gal out there. You don't have any issues with your health, no mouth ulcers, no headaches, no anxiety, no gut issues, but you're like, I love life. And I want to live a long life because life is freaking awesome. Doing a, fa a fast like once a year, twice a year can be a very effective way to clean up dysfunctional cells. Just have this whole body reset, heal different things within your microbiome and your guts, help to reduce inflammation, help to have this longevity enhancing effect. And a lot of people do intermittent fasting, which is like a daily compressed eating window, which is fantastic. But doing a longer three, four, five day fast once a year is an amazing strategy for just like mostly everyone. There's some contra contraindications, like you shouldn't do this if you're pregnant, you shouldn't do this if you have certain conditions that would be ill-advised for fasting. But for a large percentage of people, if they just stopped eating for a few days, once a year, not like you have to do this every month, man, it is miraculous how much benefit you can receive from that. What's the science be behind fasting and intermittent fasting? There's a ton of good science. You mentioned Dave Asprey. He wrote a book on fasting that's pretty good. There's other people like Dr. Jason Fung that have done a lot of research and have written really good books on fasting and the benefits and the different techniques and styles you could do. There's a researcher out here where I'm at near in San Diego, Dr. Dr. Walter Longo, and he does a lot of research into time-restricted eating specifically and also some multi-day fasting stuff. And the general framework is it's, dude, it's the fountain of youth. Like it just provides you with so many benefits. And for anyone that's undergoing like certain issues, it's, it could be the answer that you've been looking for as far as getting a jumpstart and accelerating your healing process. And then when yeah. you come off of the fast transitioning to a clean elimination style diet that eliminates a lot of potential issues. That's if you can't afford to do any testing. Most patients I work with, I love testing because then you're not guessing. You know exactly what you're up against, you know what this person needs, you know what they need, you know what nutrient deficiencies they have, what food sensitivities they have, what imbalances they have. And then I can make targeted protocols for those people because I know exactly what we're up against. Without those, without the data from those tests, it's a little bit hard to know exactly what this person needs versus this person because we're all unique. We all have different needs. Everybody's different. Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> That's very key also in this uh, in this topic, which is everybody's different. So what works for someone else? might not work for ourselves and vice versa. In intermittent fasting, there is so many, so many different ways to do it. So what would we say is basically an optimal way to do intermittent fasting? The most important thing when it comes to intermittent fasting is what time you're eating dinner, not breakfast. Most people, here's what they do, Kevin. They skip breakfast entirely and they fast throughout the first half of the day. They might have their first meal around 12, one, two o'clock. And then they end up eating dinner like around 7, 8, 9 p.m. And I will admit, this works best for your schedule. This is a very convenient thing because then you just have to don't have to worry about food. You're during your first half of your day, you're more focused because yeah. you're running on adrenaline and cortisol. But the reality is we are designed based on our circadian rhythm, our 24-hour biological clock, to consume most of our calories during the day. During the first part of the day is when we need that fuel. That's when we're moving and grooving, dude. That's when we're thinking, we're working on our business, our career, we're exercising, we're doing things that require fuel. During the latter part of the night, after the sun goes down, this is the worst time to be fueling up. This is not when humans are designed to eat. 
we all we actually don't tolerate food as well at night because our production of enzymes and stomach acid decreases our blood sugar stability gets worse we have a lot of changes to our physiology that make it so eating later at night like that is horrendous for our health not to mention it's a recipe for fat storage because you're intaking all this fuel all this energy via calories Right before you have almost no energy expenditure, you're going to be freaking sleeping, dude. That's as little energy expenditure as you're going to get. So you're and telling you me that s- I'm you're telling me that I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Open, people. <laughs> I'm hoping a lot of people listen to this and realize they they make some changes because I can't tell you how many patients I've worked with who are doing intermittent fasting. They have this 15, 16 hour fast every day, yeah. but their eating window is in the evenings, and this really jacks up your sleep quality because you're having to divert a bunch of energy towards digestion rather than diverting that energy towards recovery, rejuvenation, detox, all the other things that you want while you're sleeping. And then it also causes, like I mentioned, fat gain, because now you're intaking all these calories before you have no use for them. And when you eat an early dinner, this is what I recommend to get the most out of fasting, to sum it up, Kevin, eat an early dinner. What does that mean? At least four or five hours before bed would be optimal. So if you go to bed at, let's say 1030, have dinner by 5 30 or 6. That would be an ideal window so that you can eat your dinner, you can digest your meal, you can go to bed in more of a fasted state because to get all these benefits of fasting that we're talking about, dude, with the different cellular cleanup and the rejuvenation of your body and the lowering of inflammation and healing the gut, it takes place more effectively at night while you're sleeping when you're already in that recovery state than it does during the day when you're moving and grooving, you're training at the gym, you're working on business. That is not as conducive. And then the next day, so let's say you're following me, you eat an early dinner at 5 p.m., 5.30, you go to bed at like 10, you wake up the next morning. What time should you eat breakfast? Whenever you feel hungry. That could be one hour after waking up. It could be five hours after waking up. That part doesn't matter. I just tell people, listen to your body. If you feel hungry at 9 a.m., don't try and fast till till 12 noon. That's a horrible strategy. And what's going to happen, especially for women, Kevin, is they're going to create hormone imbalances, issues with their adrenals and their thyroid. And it's ultimately not going to be a good scenario long-term. Men can usually get away with it, but even then it can start to downregulate testosterone. It can start to have impacts on their long-term energy systems. They can start to hit weight loss plateaus. They're better off eating some type of food. It doesn't have to be like a big, heavy breakfast. It could just be a smoothie, protein shake, something light. But having some sort of protein in the morning is a good strategy for most people. So if you wake up at 6 a.m., generally speaking, like the eating window I have, Kevin, I'll usually break my fast sometime around 9 or 10 a.m., which is about three, four hours after I've woken up. And then I'll typically have dinner around 4, 4, 4.30. So pretty early. So my eating window is somewhere around 9 to 5, 8, 10 to 5, something like that. And that works great for the vast majority of people. Again, it doesn't work for everyone's schedule. So I know you're an investor entrepreneur. I'm also an entrepreneur. I make my own schedule. So I'm able to eat dinner whatever time I want. That's not the case for everyone. Some people work nine to five jobs and they don't get home till 5.30 or six. Then they have to cook and prepare food. Then they don't end up eating till seven or 7.30. And that's the best they could do. And if that's the best you could do, then that's the best you can do. But if there's any way to change up your schedule, go into work an hour earlier, get off an hour earlier, eat a little bit earlier with your dinners, have things prepped when you get home. So you could eat at 5.30 or six instead of having to cook for an hour. These things can make a world of difference in your health, your longevity, your body composition, your sleep quality, your energy levels. It's the right, it's honestly much more conducive to be eating calories during the day when the sun is out 
and not eating anything, no late night snacks, no calories at night once the sun sets. Yeah. Awesome. So we're talking about nutrition here. I mean, fasting, which is very linked to nutrition, when to eat. You released the tweet lately called nutrition truth. Not enough people realize. So let's take, and I really loved it. So let's take them one by one because they're really good ones. Because we're talking about breakfast, let's start with the breakfast one. Most breakfast mm -hmm. food are just dessert food, but with a good branding. That's right. That's right. So when you look at pancakes, waffles, crepes, muffins, these are just sugary pastries, dude. These aren't foods that are good for you to start the day. These are horrible for you. And if you compare a muffin to a cupcake, it's the same fucking thing without frosting. Like muffins are just cupcakes and we're giving them to people for breakfast to start the day. This is a recipe for brain fog, low energy, and feeling like absolute dog shit the rest of your day. So most people should be eating a lot different with their breakfast meals than what was common breakfast foods in, in most people's and even toast and stuff should not be, you should not be having a big load of refined carbohydrates in the morning because it's going to mess up your blood sugar balance. It's going to tank your energy. It's going to mess up your mood and your mental clarity. So I'm not a fan of most breakfast foods like that. What about the cereals? The Kellogg's, the classic yeah. thing that every kid is being sold online, yeah, all their, yeah, yeah. Uh, online uh, on the TV all their life. What about yep. that? You basically yeah. just mix milk with cereals <laughs> like... Yeah, it's... I don't know how that became so mainstream, dude. It is the worst combination. Throw in some homogenized, pasteurized, processed dairy that's already going to jack most people up and then combine it with this ultra-processed, sugary, grain-based cereal with artificial colors and flavors And uh, let's just give it to every child on, on the planet to go and then complain. They can't focus in school after they just ate this yeah. shitty ass breakfast. It's like, no wonder so many kids are suffering from ADD. I can't put two sentences together if I was eating cereal like that every morning before, before I start studying or before I start going to school. So what should people eat for breakfast? I like smoothies because they're easy on the digestive system. They're easy to make and you could load in all sorts of good nutrients. So having a base of some frozen blueberries or some type of frozen fruit throwing in like a good quality protein, like a, a good quality grass-fed collagen protein or a good quality plant-based protein, and then incorporating some type of healthy fats, whether that's like some avocados and MCT oil. And then as far as plant foods, I like to throw in a, like a peeled cucumber or some raw carrots to bring up some more plant foods into the mix. And the reason I like smoothies like this, Kevin, is because I'll make them up in a stainless steel water bottle and I'll sip it over the course of like an hour or two. So you're getting this slow bleed of nutrition. Slowly. You maintain the same mental clarity and energy as if you're fasting, but now you have all the nutrients on board. So you're like totally optimized as far as your output and your performance. It's easy on the gut. So you're not diverting a bunch of energy towards digestion. So it's a fantastic option for people. Now I do like eggs and I do like breakfast meats doing like some turkey sausage or some grass fed beef patties is like a meat to have with your eggs or doing some avocado. These are great. But the problem with those is it's a lot of heavy fats and heavy proteins. And even though they could be healthy foods, when you have that for breakfast, it can really weigh you down and decrease your mental energy. Because now you have so much energy to yeah. going towards digestion. And that's why people love intermittent fasting and skipping breakfast is because they're just running on coffee and adrenaline and cortisol. And they feel, and you feel very focused. Yeah, absolutely. Feel very focused. And you yeah. have that breakfast with bacon and eggs and avocados, and you just feel weighed down. You feel slow. You feel less energetic, less focused, less motivated. So that's why people don't like to eat breakfast. But if I'm telling you, if you have a light breakfast, 
with the right protein, the right fats, the right carbohydrates, not only will you feel the same energy as fasting, but you'll feel even better. And then you'll have better long-term outcomes as well. You mentioned berries frozen. Yep. Then you also say in retweet fruits are, is basically non-carbonated soda. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So fruit juice, fruit juice is essentially sugary water that has very little nutritional value because once you juice a fruit, let's say you're juicing some oranges or you're throwing some pineapple or whatever into the juice within about five minutes, Kevin, all the live beneficial enzymes in that juice degrade. So you have no enzyme activity within a few hours the nutrients, all the vitamins, like any vitamin C from those oranges, any other vitamins in that juice also degrade. They get oxidized. They have an exposed oxygen. So you're losing a lot of the nutritional value unless you press that juice yourself and you drink it up immediately. You're not getting any of these benefits. What you are getting is a ton of sugar with zero fiber. And that creates this massive spike in your blood glucose because whole fruit has this fibrous matrix that slows down the digestion changes the effects to your microbiome and impacts your body much differently than when you strip away that fiber and just juice it. Now there's benefits to stripping out the fiber, especially for people with IBS or inflammatory issues with their digestive system, but you want to stick to vegetables, not fruits. So celery juice, you don't have all the sugar, cucumber, no problem. You throw in some of these vegetables, you can get all the nutrients if you drink it immediately. Again, a store-bought juice that's been sitting on the shelf for a week or two is, has none of these benefits. You have to juice it and drink it immediately after. And when it comes to the fruit juice most people are drinking, you go down to the grocery store, you buy this big thing of orange juice, it is garbage. And not only that, it's pasteurized, it's ultra-processed. A lot of them contain artificial stabilizers and other ingredients besides just oranges. And you're able to drink the equivalent of four freaking oranges in five minutes, which no one would actually do. No one would sit down and eat four oranges. Like that's a lot of freaking fruit, but because you've just got this sugared load of drink, pe you know, kids and people over drinking it as part of a healthy breakfast, part of a well-balanced breakfast. And it, it's terrible for you. It's literally like soda without quite as many chemicals, but it'd be the same as having a Coke for breakfast or Pepsi for breakfast in terms of how much sugar you're getting and not much nutritional value. The next one is also a controversial one. You talked about eggs. So you say eggs and meat are healthy. And there's right. so much controversy about around eggs and all the fat in the eggs. Oh, and yeah. Using all the meat. Oh, yeah. So do yeah. you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, the vegan community can be very loud. They're very passionate people that have a certain philosophy that just doesn't match the way humans have evolved to live for thousands and thousands of years. So humans are on omnivores. We require animal foods to be optimally healthy. It's impossible to get all the nutrients we need through the plant kingdom alone. It's just not physically possible. We can't what get you, certain, certain nutrients. What do you answer to the vegans who say, but what do actually these animals eat? Grass. What, what do they eat? Yeah, they eat grass. Yeah, and they, so they say, that's why they say, oh, we, you can go yeah. straight to the source. Yeah, but you don't get any of the beneficial nutrients from eating grass because we're not ruminants. We don't have all these different stomachs and chambers that turn that grass into essential fatty acids and high quality protein and all these minerals and nutrients that we get from eating the animal that ate the grass. So it, it's completely silly to look at it like that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be like saying, 
Kevin, why do you eat food? Why don't you just go eat another human shit? They ate the food. You might as well just eat their dog shit. And it's a completely backwards way of looking at things. And then the vegans also, just to come back to the ultimate question, not to get too off track, track, because I, I do a lot of vegans and I think that we see a lot of things, we have more alike than we do dislike. They're just trying to be healthy and help the planet, which I agree with. Yeah, absolutely. But when you look at the greatest source of bioavailable vitamins and minerals in nutrition, meat, especially grass-fed red meat, is at the top of the list. Just with the amount of nutrients, micronutrients we get, it's got all sorts of healthy fats. It's the best source of bioavailable amino acids. And same thing with eggs. They're fantastic for us. They're very nutritionally complete. So from just a nutrition standpoint, they're incredible foods for your body. And unfortunately, they've been villainized in mainstream nutrition circles as somehow bad for you, that they drive up cholesterol because they contain dietary cholesterol, which has been disproven for decades, and that they will cause heart disease and cause all sorts of other issues, which is simply just not true. I put it in there because it's people are well-meaning people who are trying to be healthy and look after their nutrition are avoiding these foods. And instead they're replacing it with refined grains and all sorts of other plant-based products that I think are just horrendous for you. And so it's something that a lot of people should realize. And a lot of people love good grass-fed meat and love eggs and would be very happy eating these foods yeah. from a taste standpoint, but they're avoiding it because they've been misled with poor recommendations. So the, the vegan thing leads us to the next one, which is whole grains are not healthy. We can define what whole grains are and explain us why it's not healthy. It's the base of the food pyramid in the United States is whole grains, that the, you should be getting the majority of your calorie through whole grains. And this would be thing any grains like wheat, barley, oats. There's lots of different gluten. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And these grains have really only been a part of humans diets for a small percentage of our evolutionary history because they weren't cultivated in large quantities until relatively recently. In the masses at a low cost. That's because right. Because we had too many people and we had to invent something that we could feed people cheaply That's right. at a large scale. And it's the basic ingredient that's used in all of the processed foods that are produced by these big food conglomerates like Kellogg and Nestle and all these companies that make these cereals and crackers and snack foods and all these different pastries and baked goods and all these things that people sell on the grocery store shelves are made by these whole grains. And it just so happens these are the very companies that direct the recommendations from the government because they have these lobbyists and these special interests in the, unfortunately, in the government positions. So whole grains, when you go down to the store and you see a box of Cheerios, which is garbage, it'll say heart healthy, heart healthy, whole grains. And it's just so far from the truth. These are really inflammatory. They're not good for human nutrition and you'd be better off avoiding them. Quite frankly, most of them have been hybridized and genetically modified. So they don't even represent the grains that we did eat a few hundred years ago. And there's no requirement for human health to have whole grains in your diet whatsoever. Like they don't mm. carry any nu unique nutrients that we can't get from much superior sources. Okay. So the last one is snacking is only helpful if you're a snacking company. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Snack food companies love to tell you that you should have six meals a day and snack and graze on little things because they, those are the products that they sell. But in reality, if you're eating good quality meals, you should not snack between your meals. There's no need for it. Not only will this add to your overall caloric load, but it will 
it'll prevent your gut from fully digesting your meal before you have your next meal, which is very important for good gut health. You don't want to be eating something, then an hour later eating something else, then two hours later eating something else. You want at least three or four hours between meals so that your gut can completely digest all the food that you ate but prior before you go to eat again, which is going to be very important for the motility of your intestines and your overall GI tract and preventing bloating and gas and fermentation and all sorts of other challenges people suffer from.